0: with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people,
1: friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. I interrupt my normally scheduled Trump-related rant to bring you the latest in Andrew Cuomo's not-so-stunning fall from grace. I have mentioned before the weird symbiosis that exists between Cuomo and Donald Trump. The narcissism, the bombast, and preening self-regard. Not to mention their penchant for petty retaliation and political retribution. After years of toxic behavior, the chickens have finally come home to roost for the New York governor. Now we can add another chapter, Cuomo, like his political nemesis, was a serial harasser of women. Now here's what we know, Governor Andrew M. Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, including current and former government workers and retaliated against at least one of the women for making her complaints public, according to a much anticipated report from New York State Attorney General Tish James released on Tuesday.
2: The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harass current and former New York state employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual
1: nature that created a hostile work environment. The 165-page report said that Cuomo, a third-term Democrat, and his aides cultivated a toxic work environment in his office that was rife with fear and intimidation and helped enable and I quote, harassment to occur and created a hostile work environment. The findings of the report have ratcheted up pressure on Cuomo to resign or face near certain impeachment. Outside lawyers hired by the Assembly's Judiciary Committee are currently looking at not only the sexual harassment claims, but a series of scandals with a common theme, whether or not Andrew Cuomo abused his power while in office. We wanted to have the
2: uh, Attorney General uh, do the due diligence which she did. and now we find that eleven uh, uh, women have uh, had their their claims substantiated. Uh, that is uh, like outrageous is really the only word for that. and I continue to say as I said uh, early on in this that for this for the sake of the state of New York and the
1: people, you know, the governor should resign. Cuomo said in a response that the facts are much different from what has been portrayed. You can come down and start kissing everybody. I'll kiss every guy, man and woman, man and woman. Look at that guy, how handsome he is. I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances, he said. I'm 63 years old. I have lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am, and that is not who I have ever been. I
0: never touched anyone inappropriately i never touched anyone inappropriately i never knew at the time that i was making anyone feel uncomfortable i never knew at the time i was making anyone feel
1: uncomfortable his accusers paint a much different portrait Investigators said 11 women had accused the governor of a range of inappropriate behavior and that nine of them are current or former state employees. At least two had not previously spoken publicly. A female state trooper on Mr. Cuomo's protective detail and an employee of an energy company. Because
0: this is a man I've known for 25 years or more. And this is the kind of behavior that he has shown me and other women Um, throughout that time and you know I've been in politics for 45 years or more and I've certainly seen sexual harassment in other situations even from the time I was a teenager till now
1: after getting her on his security detail the trooper had to deal with the governor's commenting on her appearance her sex drive and telling her that he was looking for a romantic partner who can handle pain I felt completely violated she told investigators The National Grid employee, Virginia Limiatis, told investigators that Cuomo touched her chest and brushed his hand between her shoulder and breasts at an event in 2017. According to the report, the governor leaned in close to her cheek and said, I am going to say I see a spider on your shoulder, investigators found. Then he brushed his hand in the area between her shoulders and breasts. The report itself is exhaustive and long on receipts. A 168 pages plus three appendixes cataloging interviews with nearly 200 people, many of whom wisely preserve documentation of their experiences, knowing full well that the notoriously manipulative and threatening governor would retaliate against any and all who dared to cross him.
0: And the fact that the evidence here is just startlingly clear. It is remarkably comprehensive. 11 women who have come forward And a finding by this independent investigation that there was pervasive and severe sexual harassment going on with a governor who treated his ability to harass women like it was one of the perks of his job. So there will be further consequences.
1: In response, the governor released a ridiculous pre-recorded video that is destined for late night television once the disgust clears from Cuomo's actions. In his pedantic queen's honk of a voice, Cuomo talked about how he learned to hug and kiss from his mom and dad, sounding more like a horny high school gym teacher than one of the most powerful men in the nation. The New York Times published a front page picture of me
0: touching a woman's face at a wedding and then kissing her on the cheek. That is not front page news. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed there are hundreds if not thousands of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone black and white young and old straight and LGBTQ powerful people friends strangers people who I meet on the street after the event the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture and for that I apologize.
1: He played a slideshow of photos showing him kissing famous people over the years, which was apparently meant to serve as an exculpatory evidence pardoning him from the wealth of allegations of groping and unwanted kissing in the workplace. He described himself as a champion of women, without really explaining why all these different women, I mean, I mean, literally dozens of them, would testify that he was a grade-A fucking creeper.
2: Hi, Governor.
0: Yeah?
2: This is Charlotte. Okay.
0: Are you ready? I am ready. You don't know that song? No. It's before your
2: time.
1: It's before my time, but I I appreciated the singing.
0: Do you love me? Do you really (laughs) love me? Do you love me? (laughs) Do you care? I'll have to listen now. Yep. It's like
1: the 50s. It's before even my time. And worse, when he wasn't hitting on them or grabbing on them, he made these women afraid and intimidated them as they simply tried to do their fucking jobs. My god, this reminds me of Trump. It reminds me exactly of Trump. You'd swear the men were born from the same sick loins. I certainly won't blame the borough of Queens. Hey, I'm here. I'm here.
0: I welcome the opportunity for a full and fair review before a judge and a jury. Because this just did not happen. Other complainants raised against me questions that have sought to unfairly characterize and weaponize
1: everyday interactions that I've had with any number of New Yorkers. Well, guess what? The lawyer paid by Cuomo to absolve Cuomo concluded that Cuomo has never conducted himself in that way and claims the Attorney General's report had a predetermined outcome. And to underscore the fucking shamelessness of his actions, the bogus report was published not on Cuomo's official campaign site or one of his proxies, but from the New York State governor's office. This is Trumpian-level bullshit here, an announcement from Sonny Corleone that he's going to bada-bing, bada-boom before he resigns, so just go fuck yourself, because he's the governor and you're not. (laughs)
2: felt like was happening was the governor was attempting to really gaslight new yorkers um as to what the report had said the report was independent i'm sure we'll get to that um it was very thorough and that was probably one of the most disappointing, but really one of the most sad moments of the day today. To
1: exist as a woman in Cuomo's administration, the report says, was to live the dichotomy between fear and flirtation. For the governor, women were playing things to be treated like objects, and Cuomo would bounce between asking intimate and inappropriate questions about his employees' sex lives and using his senior aides to intimidate those who wouldn't play ball with Cuomo's crazy office antics. What was the culture? Words that witnesses have used repeatedly to describe it include toxic, hostile, abusive. Others use words like fear, intimidation, bullying, vindictive. Everything they did was for the sole purpose of burnishing the governor's reputation and personal comfort. The composition of his circle in the reports telling was likewise intended to minimize exposure for Cuomo and accentuate a culture of fear around confronting him with access granted chiefly to those with, and I quote, a proven personal loyalty. Even outside of the sexual harassment stuff is not something you can get away with. You can't berate and terrify people 24-7, close quote it was a culture where you could not say no to the governor and if you and if you upset him or his him or his senior staff you would be written off cast aside or worse women would be told to wear heels or certain items of clothing because that's what the governor likes in fact the report says as mr cuomo sexually harassed women inside and outside his government greater pains were taken to protect him from himself the executive chamber declined to report harassment allegations from an executive assistant, Charlotte Bennett, to the appropriate state agency and moved instead to establish a practice preventing certain female staff members from being left alone with the governor.
2: He's trying to justify himself by making me out to be someone who can't tell the difference between sexual harassment and mentorship. He sexually harassed me. I am not confused. At one point, he said that he was trying to help you work through a difficult time. Did that seem like that was his intention? No. His intention was trying to sleep with me. Well,
1: the civil investigation concluded that Cuomo, and I quote, engaged in unlawful sexual harassment... James said her office didn't reach a conclusion as to whether the conduct amounts to or should be the subject of criminal prosecution.
2: What specific allegations in the Attorney General's report are getting attention from prosecutors?
0: Well, we already talked uh, in the last couple of days about the Albany County District Attorney who is looking into several of the allegations that occurred at the governor's um, uh, offices in, in Albany, which is the capital of New York. Uh, And then yesterday we learned of three new district attorneys um, in lower New York that are looking at other parts
1: of the investigation. The calls for Cuomo to resign were loud on Tuesday. They came from people including President Biden, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and every Democratic member of Congress from New York State. What Charlotte is looking for here is
2: accountability. The governor must resign. If he does not do so, he must be impeached. I have a question for you on coronavirus, but first I'd like to start with the news of the day. Given back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign, given the investigator said the 11 women were credible?
0: I stand by that statement.
2: Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office?
1: Let's take one thing at a time here. I think he should resign. Events could move swiftly, according to the Times. It could take just a month to complete the inquiry and draw up the articles of impeachment. A trial in the state Senate could begin as soon as late September or even early October. A
0: new Marist poll today shows that 59% of adults in New York want Governor Cuomo to resign. 59% also say that if the governor refuses to resign, the state legislature should resign impeach him. The New York Post is reporting tonight that New York, that the New York Assembly is, quote, wrapping up its probe of Governor Andrew Cuomo and could draft articles of impeachment by the end of the month. Sources familiar with the matter said Wednesday, and the Associated Press reports a majority of Assembly members
1: now support beginning impeachment. In the meantime, it is plain that Mr. Cuomo, stripped of his usual abilities to cajole, browbeat, or intimidate fellow politicians, and abandoned by supporters in New York and Washington, has reached the most vulnerable moment in his decades of public life, a moment that is poised to reshape the landscape of political power in New York. In Cuomo's mind, he is the victim of a gross injustice, and his actions have been misunderstood. He wants you to think of him as your kindly Italian uncle, and what happened is a matter of cultural and generational differences.
0: Andrew Cuomo is the master of the art of this kind of behavior and it's it's something that shows his pattern of behavior over time
1: i do kiss people on the hand mr cuomo said on tuesday i do embrace people i do hug people men and women i do on occasion say ciao bella on occasion i do slip and say sweetheart or darling or honey you did a lot more than that bud the best thing for everyone now is for you to hit the fucking road but we all know that that's not your nature.
0: Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job
1: and now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is Jennifer Taub, a professor of law at Western New England University School of Law. Taub focuses on follow the money matters, specifically white-collar crime and financial market regulation. When she's not in the classroom, Taub can be seen testifying before Congress or in the streets. She was a co-organizer of the 2017 tax march where more than 120,000 people gathered nationwide to call on former President Donald Trump to release his tax returns. In 2019, Taub served as a visiting professor at Harvard Law School. Her most recent book, entitled Big Dirty Money, showcases the shocking injustice and unseen cost of white-collar crime, and her monthly column for Washington Monthly takes a pointed look at matters of law and justice. Taub is a frequent guest on MSNBC's Morning Joe and a strong progressive voice on Twitter. She joins us today on Mea Culpa as news breaks about Governor Andrew Cuomo's serial sexual harassment of women in and around his administration. Taub has a lot to say on this matter, so let's go now to that conversation. So Jennifer, I want to start this episode by talking about someone other than Donald Trump, who is... A favorite topic of conversation here on Mea Culpa, or one of his many co-conspirators. Instead, it's about Trump's sworn enemy, Andrew Cuomo, a man who at one point seemed heroic in the face of Trump's incompetence during COVID's darkest hours. But it turns out that the hero was actually a fucking creep himself, and today. After a months-long investigation by the office of the New York State Attorney General, Tish James, Governor Andrew Cuomo was found to have sexually harassed multiple women staffers in violation of state and federal law. I believe that the number was actually 11. In your mind, should Cuomo just resign now?
2: Yes. Cuomo should have resigned when the credible allegations came out in the spring, but... There's no question now, the time has come to resign, but he will not. Speaking of uh, Donald Trump, they have a lot in common. I think they have, you know, no one is as bad as Donald Trump, of course, but they share uh, some of the same, same background. You know, a father who was uh, well-respected, uh, uh, was wealthy and well-connected, and they, you know, riding their father's coattails, and the inability to ever admit that they are wrong and creating a very hostile work environment. Of course, they're incredibly different in other ways. And even, Michael, even the part where you said, you know, he, see, he looked good around COVID uh, and he was going on TV every day, you might know this and remember, that was, he acts like it was for the public, but he was basically getting his name out there to land a book deal. He got what is unheard of, a $5.1 million advance And you know, you put out a book, you didn't get an advance, you made your own book, but you get the idea. That's an advance on sales. He has not made, I don't think, those sales at any rate. Uh, So I I look at everything he does as self-serving at this point, and he has no one's confidence. He's lost the confidence of Joe Biden. He's lost the confidence of Nancy Pelosi, his own legislature, and even local governors in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. How do you lead? How do you lead? He needs to go. So
1: let's just talk about the $5.1 million book deal and so on. Because every day, you're right, he came on television and he did like a state of the state address. Basically, for your, to your point, he was propping himself up. In that way, it would increase the value of his upcoming book. That was. A, I never got in advance. I wrote my book while I was in prison. I came out. Uh, I was actually going to do it uh, on Kindle, uh, ended up by coincidence meeting uh, this guy, Tony Lyons, who is the CEO of Sky, uh, of what he called of Skyhorst uh, publishing. He was a friend of a friend, and um, he read the book and he goes it 's a page turner." disloyal as a page turn. We didn't make any changes. I, I w- went through the document and I never took, adv- I never took a single dollar in, in, in advance. Now, 5.1 million, that's like Obama numbers. That's like Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton numbers. I mean, you know, I'm not really sure that the governor of the state of New York coming off of you know, horrific, horrific failures, including what took place at the nursing homes He's entitled to be writing a book, first of all, or having somebody write it for him on the government's dime and then to collect a $5 million purse onto it. I mean, look, whose fault is it? In all fairness, I say it's our fault. It's the public's fault. Just don't buy it. Just don't buy the book. I'm not interested in reading it. You know, it. I hate to say it, it was almost like John Bolton's book. I had no interest in reading Bolton's book. I had no choice. I'm sitting in solitary confinement. It's the only book that I was able to get my hands on because somebody had gotten it. They left it for me at the door. And one of the guards was nice enough to kick it into my room in solitary. I found the book to be painful, painful to read, painful to turn the pages. Like It's like ripping out nose hair. I mean, it was just painful. But when you have nothing else to do in the 24-hour period, you'll read anything. And
2: on this tangent, I know we've got to get back to Cuomo, but I want to compliment you in the fact that you are someone who spoke out and paid the price for that, you know, disloyalty, I'm putting in quotes, before you wrote your book. I mean, you look at the Boltons and you look at some of these other books coming out and everyone wants to talk freely to, you know, this journalist and that journalist – and yeah, I want the stories for sure. I, I'm creating a historical record in my mind and in the books that I write. But you, you actually, when you testified in 2019, was it March? That was. I think it was February. February. Sorry. And I, you know, and I know what your experiences was because I, I, I read from your point of view where what that was like. But that took a physical and mental. Toll on you, and you did it. And you know what? You could. I mean, I know that you're the kind of person who you you physically and emotionally couldn't stay silent. But a lot of people did. If you had just done what Manafort did or Flynn did, right? We know what would your story or Roger Stone or Roger Stone. I could name them.
1: I would have been. I would have been the first guy on the list to get a pardon. And I can't tell you the number of friends of mine who, to be honest with you, we really don't speak as much anymore, who basically called me a stupid ass in the fact that if you would have kept your fucking mouth shut, you would have gotten a pardon. All of this bullshit in my life right now with home confinement, I have three months and 17 days left. It is the longest. It's always at the end. It's just so long. It drags out. It is the dumbest home confinement um, in I could possibly imagine I've received no benefit for any of the 400 hours of cooperation. The Southern District of New York charged me with crimes that they refused to indict and charge Trump, despite the fact that I named him as a co-conspirator, something that there's an attorney that used to be an SDNY guy, Rich Cidnarelli, constantly tweets about. They refused to do it, saying that they don't have enough evidence. The HELOC argument against me was absolute bullshit, which we explained to Judge Pauly uh, at the time, you know, who's now deceased. Um, We we explained to Judge Pauly that there's no HELOC violation. I have 80 percent equity.
2: I have to translate for for your listeners. HELOC stands for Home Equity Line of Credit. And in case people don't know, which they must know by now, what Michael's talking about is the campaign finance violation. Trump's named as individual one. I am waiting for Merrick Garland to open that up, although I don't know where the statute of limitations is. I think we're getting pretty darn close um, to that, right? Because 2060, we're five years. So if he's not charged with the campaign finance violation by, what was it, September? I think
1: it's October, by October. Then it's going to be gone. Yeah, and it's it's wrong, and I will not keep quiet I did it simply because I stated to George Stephanopoulos on an ABC interview well before when I was still even speaking to Trump's folks like Jay Sekulo. I will not be the villain of Donald Trump's story. I didn't have the affair with Stormy Daniels. I was just the schmuck. The schmuck who paid it because Trump told me to. Right? End of story. With Alan Weisselberg. And yet Alan Weisselberg gets immunity? What? David Pecker gets immunity. He's the one who set the whole thing up. Dylan Howard, who worked for AMI, for National Guard, they get immunity. And this is, you know, it's funny because being that I understand you also teach law, right? This is, um, this is something that's now being taught in law school, right? And I just find it interesting. And we will ultimately find out down the road when Merrick Garland gets off his ass. Personally, I'm disappointed um, with, with his productivity so far. I want, I want him to get off his ass, investigate all of this. Investigate why the SDNY did what they did. Because I guarantee it came from the top, it came from Trump, all the way down, no different than the unconstitutional First Amendment violation against me on the, with the remand back to prison because I refused not to um, sign away my First Amendment constitutional rights rights and to publish my book. I talk about it I'm a so lot on the show. I'm so you're smart
2: enough. I mean, I know we're supposed to be talking about Cuomo, but one last thing. It's good that you're smart enough not to do that. So many people in the system don't know what they can stand up against, you know?
1: Well, I, but, I shouldn't uh, have. By the way, most people, again, tell me, you should have just signed the goddamn thing and dealt with it afterwards. Uh, as Look what happened to me. I got remanded back to prison. became technically like the first political prisoner held by my own country because I wouldn't waive my my First Amendment constitutional right and, you know, thrown back into Otisville after being tortured at 500 Pearl Street in the basement, you know, for seven, eight hours. Um, It was a night and then to be put for another 15 days in solitary confinement. Hi, folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out Thursday's incredible episode with Daryl Davis, entitled A Black Man's Odyssey in the KKK. It's the story of how Davis got over 200 members of the Klan to hang up their robes and quit the hate group for good. Or the fascinating July 22nd interview with Kevin Kelly, founding editor of Wired Magazine, discussing his new book, The Inevitable, understanding the 12 technological forces that will shape our future. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show, like the July 6th interview with master pickpocket Bob Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life. Whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. So search for Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But you're right. Let's go back to to our dear friend, Governor Andrew Cuomo. Right. <laughs> so I know that we've had 56 New York governors in the state's history. And only once in our entire history here in New York has a governor been impeached. And I believe that was William Sulzer in 1912. And that was a whole scam. Right. It's, it's 1912 is very similar to twenty sixteen <laughs> through twenty twenty, right? Where, you know, we had Tammany Hall back then, and this was just a big Tammany Hall scam. Uh, and they removed Sulzer simply because he wouldn't go along with um you know with the powers that be. But we've only had one out of fifty-six. And it appears that Andrew Cuomo will be number two. What's your yeah. what's your what's your position on that? Because <laughs> we're looking at 11 allegations of sexual misconduct. Certainly it's a violation of it. Give me your thoughts on it from a legal perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, from a legal perspective, this 165-page report is well organized. And for those who want to later look at this or follow along at home, um, the relevant law is laid out beginning on page 130. But up until that point is a quick executive summary. So if you don't have a lot of time, Folks, you can just read, um, you know, like the first 15 pages, and that will get you through the main stuff. Um, so if you read, actually, you can get the overview. And then if you want to zero in on the law. So I mean, it seems to me, I will say, before I tell you the the law stuff, um, and by the way, this just to make it really clear, this investigation by Tish James that it was delegated to two very respectable law firms um, is only... A civil investigation. you mentioned that these are um, this is legal wrongdoings that he's they he's credibly accused in this thorough report of violating federal and state law, but civil law. So there's nothing in here about criminal law except one footnote um, in that law section, it's footnote. 1239. And I didn't just happen to read all of the footnotes. I, Goog- I searched through the document to see if any crimes were discussed. And what, what it says is that, uh, and I'll read this to you, uh, we understand that certain criminal authorities, including the Albany Police Department, have been alerted to the most egregious allegations of physical uh, touching, um, including groping uh, the, one of the executive assistants. What we also know though. There are criminal allegations related to his sexually assaulting um, someone on his security detail when he lived in Westchester County is being investigated now by Mimi Roca, who folks may remember from being an MSNBC pundit, a former federal prosecutor who now won the election to be the Westchester DA. So I'm going to begin by saying, don't look in this report uh, for criminal allegations. As Michael described it, it's really more of a blueprint um, for an impeachment and a blueprint for civil cases to be brought by these individuals or civil cases to be brought by the federal government. The federal government can bring civil cases, so can state government, right? I don't think New York State, it, I mean, Tish James said that she's done, right? This is her thing. So at this point, I would expect criminal cases to move forward in Westchester and um, uh, uh, the Westchester DA as well as the um, Albany um, DA against him. But what I find really credible about this report is that the lawyers who were hired, these law firms, um, both were hugely respectable, Cleary Gottlieb and Vladik Raskin. The, this law firm issued 70 subpoenas under the authority of the New York Attorney General, received 74,000 documents, spoke with 179 individuals, of them, 41 were under oath, and they also had a public tip line. And from all of that, they put they laid out 11 different women subject to sexual harassment. They made clear that it wasn't just Cuomo that's at fault, but the workplace itself, right, that this is um, actionable because under under federal and – well, the federal legal standards are, are slightly different, but to make it really simple, um, that these – that the – the reason why New York itself is is on the hook is because New York, as an employer of Cuomo, either protected him, uh, was aware of the activity, um, and took adverse action, um, and, and and failed to um, that the employer itself took adverse action against these these complainants, and that there's a connection there's a connection between the two. So to say that in a non legal way, this report very thorough, lots of witnesses under oath, makes clear that he sexually harassed and or assaulted at least 11 women, some who worked for the state, some who didn't. Uh, First of all, secondly, that it was a hostile work environment, which is a concept under federal and state law, um, and that the state itself is vicariously liable for for what he did. And in addition, this other piece is the retaliation. And you've probably heard it. You've been retaliated against. But under federal and state law, if you retaliate against someone who makes a sexual... Harassment claim that is independently a separate cause of action. Right. So we have all we have all of this happening here. And, you know, when you read this report, Michael, and compare it to Cuomo's little um, video tape that he issued, it just shows you that he is either completely delusional or he's just like Donald Trump in that he's decided that he is going to deny, 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 deny. He will wait to be impeached and convicted and thrown out of office so that he can still say it was. He didn't say witch hunt, but his he's yesterday and throughout, even in the interviews, he claims this is politically motivated. Right?
1: Except, for, except for the fact that it's politically motivated and it's being backed up. By the President and a whole slew of Democrats that believe that he needs to go you know, but while we 're talking about the impeachment, we should actually just go through the process of the impeachment here in new york again it's this is really a case of almost first precedent, simply because the very first one again in one thousand nine hundred and twelve is not, very few of us uh, were alive back then in order to remember that um, it 's very similar in Many respects to what we saw in the Bill Clinton impeachment. I mean, we've now seen a lot, right? We've seen the impeachment and conviction of Bill Clinton. We've seen the two-time impeachment of Donald Trump. It Here in New York, it kind of works the same way, right? Where Well, you said at, conviction.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Back. You didn't mean conviction. You mean acquittal of Bill I meant Clinton. acquittal.
1: I meant acquittal. I apologize. Right. That's um, all right. And so, you know, it starts in the lower chamber of the state assembly, right? And they do very much like what the House did, which is, you know, they put forth the articles of the impeachment. And then, of course, it goes to uh, our upper chamber. Uh, And this is kind of like a little weird because it only requires a simple majority of the 150 members that are in our state, um, you know, Senate. Uh, And it's kind of... Interesting. that's where it's a little bit different. But for the most part, the impeachment process here in New York, because not all states have the same uh, process, but here in New York, it's very similar to what we all experienced by watching the impeachment trials of Donald Trump. Yes.
2: And what I'm, you know, this is as you said, doesn't happen that much. And it's new, new to me, although I was admitted to the New York bar many years ago when I first started out in practice. Believe it or not, impeachment wasn't on the bar exam, Michael. And I'm sure with you, it didn't come up in your, your law practice. But it is really it is quite um, interesting because you don't have to have an investigation. Similar to what we saw with the second impeachment of Trump. They can really use this report and not even do a separate investigation, which the, what I would expect that they would do. I mean, we already have. What what is the news? Um, I think we already have support from the New York Assembly leader, right, to, to move this forward. I don't. I don't think anyone's done a you know a, a um, informal roll call or a whip vote to see who's on board with this. I just don't see it see it as tenable if they don't move forward with this and do it quickly because uh, you know we're headed into a new phase of COVID and you really do need um, a new governor in there. And just, you know, him to be gone. He, he just doesn't have the support of the public, I don't think.
1: Yeah, he does not. So moving forward, Jennifer, in a piece of satire worthy of Thomas Swift and his modest proposal, Alexander Petrie offered an explanation for Cuomo's inexcusable behavior by writing a mock mea culpa from the point of view of Jack the Ripper. I don't know if you saw it, but for it to be funny, you have to first know what Cuomo said. And what he said first was, I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. New York Governor Andrew M. Cuomo introducing a montage of him kissing and gripping people by the face in an unwanted manner, somehow thinking that this was an appropriate response to the allegations that he created a hostile work environment that was rife with fear and intimidation. Now, in response, Petrie wrote, to me, stabbing is a mark of respect. Stabbing is a behavior I learned from my mother and father, who would often greet people by stabbing them with a blade or blades they had concealed on their persons. Just a polite, small stab as someone testing the (laughs) thickness of a pig's hide. To me, this is as much about family, about heritage, as it is about anything else. And it's something I won't compromise on. I'm not ashamed of who I am, a stabber who comes from a long line of stabbers. Now, right, is Kuo's behavior in this instance just a complete narcissism bordering on sickness, on just pure sickness? Or is it just a desperate attempt by a desperate guy of making the normal seem normal?
2: I think, you know, I love Alexander Petrie. I was, just, I laughed out loud when I saw that because she always has the best satires. Um, but look, I think it's the latter. I think early on in his life, you know, or his career, that kind of huggy, touchy stuff, before anyone spoke to him about it, maybe he didn't get it. But if you look at this report, It's so damning. There is no question that someone must have told him. He must have known. And we look at, and if they didn't, you know, I find that highly unlikely. Uh, Look, he said on his, his pre-recorded comment about the report yesterday that he likes to touch people because it makes them feel at ease. Um, No, it makes him feel at ease, right? This isn't about what people want. If you look at, look at page 11 of the report, um, this is the most damning thing whenever, you know, a lead up to this is whenever time and time again, a young employee would complain to the, you know, to um, to the they call, it the governor's cha- the executive chamber to his closest staff about feeling uncomfortable about his behavior. And they would move that young woman away from him. And they knew what was going on. In fact, it was and they didn't do what they're supposed to do, which is report it to the Office of Personnel. The, um, at any rate. Here's this line. They said, nor did they conduct any investigation, even though both the governor's chief of staff at the time and special counsel at the time found this person's uh, comments to be credible. So, And they said that the the, the excuse was they thought she didn't want to make waves. But under the handbook, it's not up to the victim to decide. They were supposed to refer this and investigate. I mean, you have the chief of staff in the the. A special counsel saying his conduct is problematic. Do you actually believe no one has ever sat down with him? I know he had a fiery temper, but you don't think that anyone ever said you need to lay off doing that? People don't find it comfortable. I don't believe it. I think he did exactly what we hear now, which is said, blush them off. Oh, I'm like this. I touch everybody. I assault everybody. That's actually a confession. It's not an excuse.
1: Uh, yeah, Mr. Cu- Mr. Cuomo, Mr. Governor, uh, nice to see you, but your hand is on my penis. Would you like to shake my <laughs> hand instead? I mean, that's almost like the kind of response that uh, Andrew Cuomo appears to be saying in this document. It's, it's absolutely abhorrent. The behavior oh. is despicable. And you know what? I hate to say it, but Trump used to do the same thing. When women used to come in, and I've seen it myself, he would grab them by, with two hands— hold their face and give him a kiss on the lips. Oof. And and I used to say to myself, my god, for a guy who's a germaphobe, right? How is it possible like I wouldn't do I wouldn't do it? You know, it's just and it's, these is some I mean, look, he knows them, but he doesn't know them. I mean, these aren't people that, you know, he grew well, up with. These are just Miss, U- Miss Universe models or or other very very attractive women that would come to the office in order to get a photo with him, you know, so that they could Posted on their social media. So I guess in exchange, they were willing, right, to for a social media post to get kissed on the lips by Donald Trump.
2: You know, again, and even that, which I find gross, you know, what we're talking about here too, and not that Trump didn't do this too, but we're talking about also the workplace. And what I found also so equally offensive, it comes up in the report, and also you see it in what Cuomo was doing to deflect. He Revictimizes re-victimizes people who survived sexual assault in the past. It's just so insulting. He said, you know, he, he it's kind of like he acts as if any woman who's ever been sexually assaulted can never be trusted in the future because she's going to read every interaction with a man as if that's an assault. And as someone myself who is long ago a victim of sexual assault and seen harassment around me, that's life. I'm a pretty good judge. I, I don't think every single man who's talking to me is going to assault me. And I think just... It's just creepy um, that he does that. It's insulting. And, you know, the idea that he thinks he's making – I mean, this is just a joke, right, Michael? You saw this part. He thought he was making a woman feel – young woman in her 20s feel at ease, knowing she'd been a sexual assault victim by asking her if he wanted – if she'd, be, she'd consider dating older men and asking her about her sex life. How does that make you feel more comfortable? That's his – None of this actually makes sense. I mean, do you think he just lacks a lot of impulse control and is completely arrogant and that's what's going on here? I mean, I've never seen anything like it except with Trump.
1: Well, I believe it goes to that old adage, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in this case, I'm the governor. My father was the governor, right? I'm the most powerful guy here in New York. I'm going to do whatever I want. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, fuck you. I don't care.
2: Yes, And that's how he said, you know, even the accusations about the toxic work environment, that, you know, his screaming and his yelling. And on his video, he was like, well, I'm not going to apologize for having standards. You know, no. Look, I've worked in some – you've worked in tougher places than me. I worked (laughs) at a law firm that's known for screamers. And there was this one partner. I liked working with him. It didn't bother me. Um, But he would like – one time I came to his office and I remember I didn't have a legal pad with me. I mean – Mea culpa. I mean, he was so pissed, he threw across the room. It wasn't a stapler, so I was okay with it. I've worked in what I consider um, tough places, but even that style, that very abusive screaming style just doesn't really work that well. And it sounds like he had, it was beyond that. He's a cult of personality and the whole place is just toxic. And I think his argument, Michael, and I'd like that you used, you told him, you know, get your hand off my, you know what, um, because you know, part of sexual harassment lawsuits, you don't have to show it's gender based either. The fact that he has his arms on guys as well as women doesn't undermine the legal arguments because harassment isn't just about sex. It's more about power. Right. Like it's more about asserting power and dominance over somebody else than it is, I think, about sex. And so it is perfectly fitting for someone who's a, who's um, creating a, a hostile, toxic work environment where he screams and yells and is mercurial and everyone has to avoid making him angry, that's perfectly fitting with someone who would be physically aggressive with women, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's the same with Trump. Everybody was afraid with based upon his yelling in the office and uh, the rebuke that you would end up getting. And, you know, when I was in Otisville, one of the individuals that I was there with was actually – on cuomo 's staff, I think he was his chief of staff for over two decades, and he used to we used to both talk about uh, during breakfast time we used to talk about how uh, that they were so similar, how Andrew and Donald from the same hometown, from the same backgrounds you know me, meaning foreign parents uh, and so on, and from that privileged uh, notoriety family name that they both seem to be just so very similar in so many just despicable ways.
2: And that fake chip on their shoulder, kind of like outsider, even though they're a privileged insider, kind of thing. You know, a friend of mine, a fantastic writer by the name of Cam Felix, wrote a piece that maybe you saw. I mean, maybe it's gotten that not that much attention, but in the cut. And she used to work. For Cuomo, she was a former staffer, and she wrote this really great piece. And you know, it's almost like um, you know how we talk about some things being for an audience of one. I almost feel like this is for an audience of people still on Cuomo's staff. And she said um, this kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff she said, but she talked about, um, and this will sound familiar. Um, you know, that people like if you if you if you hitch your wagons to one person. And they lose their power. You lose your power, right? If that's what you're all about, and you know, she said, I think this is what what I particularly like. Where's this? Oh, here, here's what she said: in politics, power is a matter of proximity, so it can take you only so far. No matter how this ends, whether Cuomo chooses to resign or is ousted in an impeachment or a primary, and his legacy remains so tarnished. That any political capital formerly attached to his name will fade? How will you serve? When the person who gives you power is deemed powerless and ineffective, what are you? What is your service? Who are you in service to? Blind loyalty is a single-edged sword. It hurts only the person silly enough to think it goes both ways.
1: Yep. Well said. Well said. If you accept cookies when going to a new website, you may want to consider clearing them periodically. Websites use cookies to collect data from your browsing history. Not all cookies are bad, but if your computer is running slow or you've accepted third-party or cookies from an unencrypted website, clearing them could be beneficial. Your private information is more exposed than ever and could leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank rate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one could prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions of all businesses, but if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at norton.com slash Cohen. But I I want to keep jumping forward here. At one point, Cuomo was actually, they were whispering about uh, him as a possible presidential contender. But that was, of course, before we knew the truth. What does it say to you that on either end of the political spectrum, these two men representing New York politics and its tabloid culture, whose families go back generations, each are serial abusers of women?
2: Boy, um... That is such a good question, and I'm trying to take it in. Let me break it down. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he did work, didn't he work in the Obama administration, heading up HUD, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Um, and then he went to be governor and years ago. A friend of mine, um, Zephyr Teachout, ran against him with Tim Wu. And I remember someone, a friend, a friend of mine's father, who was very active in Democratic politics. I mentioned, oh, you know, my friend, you should consider supporting my friend Zephyr. And he's like, well, who would run against Cuomo? He's perfectly good. And even then, I knew the stories about how how abusive he was and toxic and imperial. And, you know, I didn't know about sexual harassment stuff, but, you know, and maybe politically, some people thought think, you know, aren't as progressive and that's why they would support him. But he's very much or has been very much an establishment Democrat. And I think what it says is, you know, I think that, well, it says a lot about politics more than it says about the political parties in order to get the public's attention, someone has to be known. Right. And the name Cuomo, the name Trump, these are names that are known, right. Um, the name Kennedy is a name that's known. And it, unfortunately, the public is so very busy, um, or understandably, people are living their lives. Like I grew up in Michigan, I grew up in the Midwest, and people aren't really paying attention to Washington and to New York. I'm fascinated with this stuff. But people go about their daily lives dealing with the stuff going on with themselves. And it takes a lot to penetrate people's, you know, thought process. And So I think that, unfortunately, the political parties are going to be attracted to somebody who has a big name, like you said, to have like culture, but a big name. And where does a big name come from? someone who's maybe had money or had celebrity. And that's really, um, really dangerous, I think in some ways. And the question is, what do we do to build up better candidates? What do we do actually to vet people earlier? But, you know, no matter the vetting, I mean, Cuomo, I think he still wants to be president. I think he's that naive to think he can do it. So there was someone joking on Twitter saying he either needs to resign now or switch parties and run as a Republican.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing about vetting. If, If you actually want to run for, I don't care if it's a city council spot, all the way up to the governor and so on, you have to be part of the party. And they have to benefit from you the same extent that you want to benefit from them. So they're not looking for the best candidates, people who have, you know— open ideas, you know, progressive ideas uh, about making things better. They're just part of the system, as Cuomo has always been part of the system. Now, when Trump ran, it was a little bit different because none of them wanted him. Remember, you know, you had the Reince Priebus, as we like to call him, rancid penis. You know, he, would, he, <laughs> did, he wanted nothing to do with Trump. None of them wanted anything to do. He was the carnival barker, the jerk off that they were all laughing at. And as we, eliminated one by one by one by one. All of a sudden, you started seeing them showing up to kiss the ring. And when he got the nomination, that's when you saw Reince Priebus and others, you know, hat in hand, sitting there. Oh, yeah, you know, we we were with you the whole time, but we couldn't be because, you know, we can't show favoritism, but we think that you're going to be great. And here's a few people that we think you should look at as a vice presidential candidate. So they're already using him as a useful idiot in order to put the people that they want in various different places. And that's what caused the whole transition team to just basically fall apart because everybody was trying to shove their friends in simply instead of who's qualified. And that's, that's a big problem. So the whole vetting issue, every American, every New Yorker has the right to run for governor. Listen, here's a promise to you. If this fucking moron... Andrew Giuliani, right, decides that he's going to run for governor or or right. I'm running. I'm putting in my I'm putting my name in the hat right now because I know exactly how to tear him apart, you know, and to embarrass him to the point. I don't think a Republican would vote for him. I don't care about daddy and so on, who I think is going to go to prison also. But short of that. I'm going to run if Andrew Giuliani runs, because I think oh. it would be the easiest. It would be easier than winning a fifth grade president, you know, uh, you know, election simply by promising pizza every day.
2: Are you making news right now? Can I tweet this out or do I have to wait until this goes live? <laughs> I
1: think I think we'll wait till it goes live. But so, Jennifer, again, moving forward here, you retweeted a quote from Rebecca Traster in context to Andrew Cuomo, which reads, Amid a national eviction crisis, an imminent recession, and a deadly pandemic, what has our commitment to abuse of power gotten us? Has our loyalty created more resources? Is it keeping people off the street? We've been doing it all wrong. Now, what do you think that she's saying here?
2: I think what she's saying is there's a way in which people— compromise. It's kind of like, um, you know, this different stages of grief. It's the bargaining stage. You know, you might be grieving the fact, you, you know, people don't want to face the reality that something, you know, someone's abusive, uh, you know, they're like, well, we make excuses, you know, maybe they are a tyrant, but look, they're getting all this done. And she's saying, and that's a false, that's a, a, a false narrative. We don't have to put up with this. And by the way, it doesn't bring all these other benefits, actually, I think is what she's trying to say there.
1: Do you think that she's trying to say that Cuomo has been a bad governor all of these years and that we've just whitewashed it, that we've just pushed it under? Because, I mean, I think that there are people that would say that there are things that he has done well, you know, as governor. You know, I mean, he hasn't been the absolute louse that Trump was where... As far as I'm concerned, nothing beneficial came out of his four years other than tearing things down, you know, like um, various different agencies.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say a couple things. You know, I'm not a New Yorker and you vote for your own governor um, and all that stuff. But if you, you know, you mentioned it like the nursing homes, all the deaths in the nursing home, he was covering that up. There was also, I think one of the reasons why Zephyr ran against him all those years ago, and I'm forgetting the name of it, there was a commission that he allowed to be set up right to investigate corruption in albany and then he shut it down do you remember that
1: i do and i'm blanking and I'm forgetting on the name of it and i'm blanking on the name uh i'm gonna google uh, it and i'm gonna tell you we actually filed when i was with trump we actually filed an action Asking for this specific matter to be investigated because of the corruption that was taking place, in Trump's opinion, uh, with the handling of this matter, um,
2: and it. Oh, it was called. It was called the Moreland Commission. That's right, the Moreland That's Commission.
1: That's right, and we we made an application um, for it to be reviewed. They're supposed to have it reviewed in a time period that, let's say, it's like. 90 days, 60, 90 days. It never got reviewed. And so we sent in a follow-up and we sent it in the proper way, certified mail, return receipt. So we knew that they received it and it ultimately went nowhere. We not only did it ultimately go nowhere, it never even received a response. It never went Anywhere, It died. Which is not the, surprising. Not <clears throat> surprising right. at all. Now, on July 28th, St. Louis Congressman Cory Bush introduced the and I, uh, the unhoused Bill of Rights. Uh, AOC has hailed her work as a landmark in progressive housing policy that will change how millions of people live. Now, I'm curious what your takeaway is from the bill and what you think are the most important aspects of it. Because also, Cori Bush herself has become a popular target for the likes of conservative media. And I'm curious what they're actually attacking.
2: Yeah, well, um, I guess two different things. One, because I have not – I know that she introduced it, I think, seven days ago. I don't know – I have not read um, the language of the bill, but I like the concept of this That she is, and by the way, she's a congresswoman from Missouri. and She was in the news. We'll talk about what she just accomplished the past couple of days. Um, But she wants to finally address what she calls the unhoused crisis by 2025. So that would be in four years. And what this would involve is increasing, having the um, federal government help increase affordable housing stock, um, provide universal housing, vouchers, and so on. And I think um, what she – why I'm really impressed with her is, as you know, she had been camping out for days after the House went on recess because the uh, moratorium on evictions that Congress had enacted was uh, expired over the weekend. And she was trying to pressure um, the legislature to pass something, which a lot of people said, well, that's not going to really work. It would never get to the Senate. But she was drawing attention to the real plight of people – Um, In the middle of this pandemic that is now kicking up again, um, and people who are there's money allocated to people to help them pay their rent that hasn't actually gotten to people. It's not there yet. And she's just trying to find a way to stop this. And thank God, with all the pressure and attention that she put on the situation, um, Biden acted and had the um, Center for Disease Control extend it. And the reality is, it, you know, Maxine Waters was calling for this. AOC was supporting Cory Bush, just, you know, and so on. But Cori Bush really was the face of this. As you mentioned, she herself was once homeless. And um, I mean, I think you know this from and your she own talk, experience. And, she talks, about, and yeah. she
1: talks about it openly and, you know, not, you know, with total candor, which I find incredibly impressive because most people wouldn't want to talk about things like that.
2: No, I mean, there's so much shame You know, um, there's so much shame when you feel like you can't provide for your family or you feel like somehow, however you were raised, you're slipping in some way or, you know, and all of that, you know, whatever happens in a person's life and where you start, where the middle is or where you end it, you know, sometimes we all need support. And she got to a position of power and instead of just taking that power for her own sake to actually help others and use that platform, it's amazing. And, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes because now that moratorium has been extended, in some cases I think the most hard-hit cities, and someone pointed out, well, what if the Supreme Court overturns this because there's this, you know, dig into the weeds and there's this concurrence from the Supreme Court and some other decision, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the whole point is by the time they overturn it, people have still been in their houses for yet another week, and maybe they can get the money they need, you know. I mean, this is somebody who's taking chances and speaking out for the public good. I mean, I love to see people use their power in that way. What a contrast. What a contrast she is to someone like Cuomo.
1: And what, the reason I ask this question is, again, you know, you start listening to some of these conservative media um, pundits and these hosts on whether it's Fox, OAN, uh, you know, et cetera, Newsmax, and they're targeting her. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, wow, it's so similar to when Trump targeted the, I think, New York Times reporter for his, um, you know, for his disability. Though Mm. homelessness is not a disability, but it is a moral obligation that we have in order to try to do something. Now, here in New York, right, what did they used to do? They used to take most of these people— and they used to put them in shelters. And those shelters became increasingly dangerous, that they would rather stay on the street for fear of being beaten, killed, robbed, etc. Inside these shelters, they started using, this is many years ago now, using like um the psychiatric wards. They started putting many of them inside there. Now... Some of them have issues and they, they really do need help. But her decision to actually put something together, a bill together, to permanently end right the unhoused right. crisis by 2025, to me, is so noble in its, in its process, in right. its thought, and so on. Because what she declared is that this crisis is a life-threatening public health emergency. And she puts forth, I think it's like 30 or 32 recommendations on what needs to be done in order to get people off the street. You know, right now it's 90 degrees outside. What happens when it hits the 105, the 110 degrees in some states? Or here in New York, when it got down to minus 10 degrees and these people are sleeping on, you know, on, um, you know, on the on the street, uh, underneath awnings of churches and in front of buildings, or you know, anywhere that there's heat coming up from maybe the the um, the, the train stations. Somewhere, I mean, this is, you know, so this is you... not this is not funny. And then well, there was even a group of people that were targeting the homeless. They would set their you know their their boxes, their makeshift homes, on fire, or they would you know they would collapse them and, and drop heavy things on them. I mean, it is. A, it's an emergency. So good for yeah, her. I mean,
2: I'm, yes. And I, you know, my um, my sister-in-law back home in Michigan at one time worked um, with people, with uh, men transitioning out of jail situations and they were living in halfway houses or living in other things. And she, what she notices, is, you know, there are a lot of people for whom they would work. They could do a job at a factory. They could do all kinds of work, but they don't have the, either the mental health issues or the organizational skills, something in their, their, uh, upbringing or maybe just their, their mental makeup makes it impossible for them to kind of like take all those steps, like get a meal together at their house. You know, even if you gave them a place, the section eight housing, like just dealing with getting fed, getting a bus, getting to work. And so you can do something like provide that transportation. There's something we could do that's, you know, we have this extreme, either we leave homeless people on the streets, or we think the back in the days where you lock them up in asylums, like the way Andrew Yang was saying, isn't there anything in between? What about care? You know, you know, abandoning people or locking them up are really the same thing. It's not about caring. It's about um, like throwing people away. It's right.
1: all about the appearance. I cleaned up the city by removing the homeless, a blight on our society visually. Right. They're dangerous. One guy hit a woman in the head with a brick. So therefore, every single homeless person is dangerous. Right. I don't want to see it because it it interferes with my perception of you know how New York is doing. It's such bullshit in every sense of the word. If
2: people don't want to be. I think the part of it too is that like our attitude is if you know it's your own fault if you're in that situation. And if we gave someone a home, then they won't work hard. Well, that person isn't actually capable of living a life the way you imagine they could live one. If you know. They're not going to be, you know, scared into suddenly not having mental health issues or not being addicted. You know, there's got to be something in between. And this, and ironically, these are the kind of jobs um, that our society needs. Care jobs cannot be sent offshore, right? There are a lot of people who, would, who could be social workers, who could be someone who, you know, if you put people in small group homes, not the unsafe place, um, you know, organized by how much help, assistance, or if someone is actually dangerous, figuring out alternatives. I mean, there's got to be a better way. Um, So I'm glad she's starting out by doing this. She's really a hero.
1: The system, Jennifer, unfortunately, like all government systems, are flawed and they're broken. We could talk about the BOP, the Department of Justice. They're all flawed and they're all broken. But in this specific case, we have to remember, we're coming off of this 100-year pandemic that we have not seen, right, in 100 years. And there are a lot of people now that lost their jobs. There are a lot of people that are going to be losing their homes. Homelessness is going to increase simply because of this pandemic and because of closings of businesses uh, and loss of job opportunities. So here's a big problem, too. If you want to get a job, you need a permanent address. To put down, you need you, you know you need a phone in order for them to call you. You need a place you know that you can you know that you can call your home. Otherwise, what are you putting on your resume? I'm homeless. What's the chance you're going to get that job? Zero. Right. You know. So right. listen, Corey Bush, good for you. Any help you know that I could help um, with, by all means. You know, I'm here for it. I think it's an amazing thing. And anybody that criticizes this move you know, should understand what it feels like. And they should live on the street for 24 hours just so that they know what it feels like. Uh, Rest assured, they won't be bashing her too much after that. Now, I want to ask you this, Jennifer. In the June 15th article for Washington Monthly, you referred to Merrick Garland's defense of certain Bill Barr policies as his Tylenol moment, which by which I mean that he has more than a headache, but a poisoning on his hands. Now, both his legacy and our trust that no one is above the law in America are in peril and in serious peril. Can you unpack for my listeners what were you what you were saying here in the context of the article
2: yes I mean thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Some of your listeners might be too young to remember what i what uh, I'm talking about with a Tylenol moment there was um it, but if you went to business school, this is still a case that you would have studied. Um, you know, There was a time back in the um, 70s when um, someone had uh, tampered with Tylenol on the shelf, extra-sync Tylenol, and they had put in cyanide just randomly, um, and people died as a result of this. And so the, um, the CEO, the head of uh, the company, went on television, um, said he was going to pull all of the Tylenol off the shelf. Um, and people at the time, uh, you know, there was, there was a mixed review, um, of what, of, of, of doing this in that, um, some people thought that's going to kill the brand. No one's ever going to want to buy it, but it actually was considered honest and admirable. He leveled with the people, um, and people then were no longer afraid of, unfortunately, something similar happened, um again and so at that point that's when um you, if you ever buy everyone who buys medicine off the shelf there's always that safety seal right not in addition to the child lock on it so a lot of the standards we now have for over the counter medicine um is due to um sorry it was in the 80s not the not the 70s um it's due to that and so to me, the metaphor here, when I said that Garland had more than a headache, it was you know a Tylenol moment, um, meaning um, kind of like when the cyanide was in the Tylenol. I think the Justice Department was poisoned by Donald Trump and Bill Barr, and there are uh, and by poisoned, I don't just mean certain employees. I'm specifically talking about some precedents that they had set. For example, the decision by the Bill Barr Justice Department to defend Trump. And the lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit um, E. Jean Carroll brought against him when she accused him of rape and then he def- arguably defamed her. Uh, uh, Merrick Garland is continuing the effort to defend Trump. And if he actually does defend Trump and, and Trump drops out of the case as a result, it will be dropped against him. He'll be immune from that. Similarly, the uh, Bill Barr Justice Department, or actually might have been before Bill Barr took over, uh, might have been under Sessions, but the previous, the Trump Justice Department previously decided not to bring a criminal case against...
1: About Wilbur Ross.
2: Yeah, and just dropped that, and the attitude was, well, that was just dropped before I got here. Well, you know, some of these, if the statute of limitations hasn't run, a decision made by... Um, Trump's Justice Department to drop a case or decide, decline to prosecute someone who's part of the Trump administration is not is not a healthy, credible decision. So my, my fear, um, what I write about this, I mostly focused on the Mueller report findings. And, you know, Bill Barr decided that there was nothing to see there, as we know, and kind of covered up to the American people what was really in the Mueller report. And so when I say that, um, that Garland has this Tylenol moment, if he wants the people to trust justice and trust that the theory, at least, that no one is above the law, he needs to admit that there's poison, not do what he's trying to do, which is to act as if it's a, the Justice Department is kind of like the Supreme Court with a continuous, um, no, there aren't really people, there's just law. That's nonsense. There are really people in these institutions and he needs to face what Mueller found out and not ignore it. He needs to go back and revisit what the Southern District of New York did in your case against individual one, even though they dropped that case, he needs to revisit that. He needs to revisit um, what happened, or hopefully he's looking at what's going on with the campaign funds. I mean, we have Barack, but what about a uh, Barak, Tom barack but what about the other folks? You know, so all of this, whatever was decided before um, related to anyone in the Trump orbit when the Justice Department was so um, interfered with by him needs to be looked at. And my fear is that he's bending over backwards not to touch Trump because he doesn't want to make it sound like he's the so-called Biden Justice Department. I don't want him to be the Biden Justice Department. If he wants to prosecute Hunter Biden, go for it. I don't want him to be the Republican Justice Department. If he wants to prosecute Andrew Cuomo, go for it. This isn't partisan. This is about holding power to account. And there's never, ever in this country been someone as corrupt dangerous, and criminal in a position of power is Donald Trump. And there is a blueprint for his prosecution in the Mueller report. And I'm just watching the clock tick. And I believe that we are in this poisoning and no one is going to trust this Justice Department until he acts. And I'm just remaining as hopeful as I can um, that he will.
1: You know, my feeling is if Merrick Garland does not open up immediately About a half a dozen to a dozen investigations into some serious matters, mine included, but some really serious, serious issues of the weaponization of the Justice Department by Donald Trump. All that he's going to do is to continue to promote this this notion that and many people are saying it now. Right. um, on, on both sides of the aisle, that the reason that he's not opening up these investigations is simply because he doesn't want to open up a Pandora's box to the Biden family and to other future presidents and administration uh, officials that they, too, can be investigated and convicted by. It's such a stupid argument. But that's why Merrick Garland needs to get off his ass. He needs to be the attorney general that everybody wanted him to be and to stop putzing around and to get out there and open up these investigations because the American people have a right to know the Democrats cannot run on the notion that no one is above the law because everyone turns around and says the same thing, except for Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump has now proven that he is above the law. And of course, we're now seeing what's going on with him, his eponymous company, his employees like Weiselberg and, yes, Tom Barrick and, you know, a handful of others that will be, you know, soon be indicted. But people are still questioning why so long? What's taking so long? But, you know, Jennifer, as we're winding down the hour, I have just one last question for you, right? You recently retweeted an article. I told you that it goes fast, right? You recently <laughs> it, retweet- does. it does. You recently retweeted an article from The Bulwark that describe the right's drift towards fascism, and how we've normalized thoughts and speech that once would have been beyond comprehension. And then you quoted Charlie Sykes saying, and I quote, Something genuinely odd and disturbing is happening on the right. Ideas that would have been unthinkable just moments ago are now being normalized, and, if anything, the drift towards authoritarianism seems to be accelerating." Now, I'm curious if you see a point where the wave will crest and people will begin to back away, or are we just in some beginning phase of something far more frightening and far more dangerous to our democracy?
2: Wow. Um, I wish I had the answer to that question. Um, And it's very frightening, but a lot of I think this, we're at an inflection point, and whether we do what you're talking to, which is continue to drift um, toward authoritarianism or suddenly sh- be completely overwhelmed by it, has a lot to do with whether the big lie continues to flourish and whether the Justice Department can actually deal with this in, the um, insurrection. I am in the fallout from it. I mean, I was – very moved by a book i le- read last year called kleptopia by a guy named tom burgess he's from england and what was amazing is he put into perspective he he trump doesn't show up um until well into the book but everything in the book global kleptocracy all kind of leads to him in this in this weird way the way the book is is written but what he based this on his he has big a theory in the book is that under fascism under hitler as this um there was a, a Jewish legal scholar in the 1930s in Germany called Ernst Frankel and he talked about something called the dual state duAL like a double state and that was where um, the rule of law applies to the most of us to us idiots like you who you know goes to, I, I'm calling you an idiot in quotes you you the guy who am no, I am, the right an thing I, am, I,
1: am an, I am an idiot.
2: Yeah, like your friend said. Like your friend said, you know the the, uh, the us people on the ground, you know the l- rule of law applies to us, you know, we have got to honor every contract, we breach it we'll get sued, we violate the law we go to jail. But the rule of law doesn't apply if the powerful don't need it to. And that is at the essence of kleptocracy, it's at the f- essence of authoritarian fascism. And if a if either Trump Or any of the Republicans, like the Marjorie Taylor Greene types or the Gates types, if any of that, if that faction of the Republican Party either takes the House, if they take the House, they'll put Trump Trump in as Speaker of the House. If they take the uh, presidency, we're we're just, it's terrible. We know what happens next. I think we're in a really precarious position. And um, some people um, will speak out and do the right thing, but I think so much hangs right now. The world hangs on people like Alan Weisselberg or Callum Murray or Jared Kushner or um, Merrick Garland. And these people should know better. Jared Kushner, whose family came from the Holocaust, Merrick Garland, whose father I think was a Holocaust survivor, they got to understand right, right here and right now who Trump is. And they have so much power. If Jared just would flip on his father in law, the world would be a better place. And we live in this uncertainty. Of having, you know, having Trumpism flourish and fascism reign in America—a racist-based kind of fascism—it's so terrifying. And what's even more terrifying is how selfish individual people can be, like Kushner or like Weiselberg, and choose their own—I don't know what money, you know, more money. Um, what? How much more money do they need? They need to speak up now to save the country.
1: Yeah, well, I can't argue with you on any of that. Uh, Do I see them ultimately flipping? I do, but not for the Ideologies that you were describing, but rather as a matter of self preservation, because Kushner knows what it's like to be without his father, who did time. Uh, you know, Charlie did years ago. Um, you know, Alan is playing the tough guy right now, uh, despite the fact that it went from an investigation to now an indictment. But when that Starts progressing and they move the case uh, to a trial situation. You could rest assured when he starts to see his freedom fleeing, you could rest assured he's going to start talking about Donald and all of the shady shit that went on. But before he throws Donald under the bus, and I'm talking about Donald Trump. I believe he's going to throw Mazers, the accountant, who's the guy's name is also Donald, Donald Bender. He's going to throw him under the bus and say, listen, we paid this guy in this firm a lot of money. It's not on us. You know, my tax returns are a million pages long, right? How am I supposed to know? I'm not a CPA, uh, right? I'm not a tax, despite the fact he stated many times, he knows more about the tax code and taxes than any accountant alive. But- That's that's what we have to see. And will they end up doing the right thing? They may end up doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. But who cares? As long as we can finally get some semblance back into this country and some normalcy. And a lot of this is going to fall on Merrick Garland and he needs to step up or he needs to step away.
2: Hear, hear, Michael.
1: Well, Jennifer, thank you again so much for your insight, for your input. Uh, Really appreciate it. And I hope to see you back here again on Mayor Colpa soon.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You got it. And now for today's mea culpa. Watching Andrew Cuomo at his press conference try and justify his behavior left me sick to my stomach. Not just because I'm a father and the thought of anybody treating my daughter like that sends me into an absolute rage. But to violate the power balance that exists between a man like Andrew Cuomo and his various underlings is beyond predatory. It is the behavior of a sociopath. Now I know this fucking firsthand from working with Donald Trump for over a decade. This is a man who was so sickening in his debasement of women that he thought nothing of commenting to me on my own teenage daughter as she played tennis, wondering when she would be of age. As if I found it amusing that the sick fucking leech was imagining himself with my daughter. The point is that all these women were someone else's daughter and each of them was nothing but chum in the water to Andrew Cuomo. That's how men like him and Donald Trump think about women. They exist for their pleasure and nothing more. But now for a big, huge mea culpa. Part of my job working for Trump was to clean up the various suits and claims involving his affairs with women. And there were lots of them. Most of you know the stories. You even heard from his own mouth where he liked to grab them. And I think about these women and each of them, like Cuomo's victims were someone else's daughters. Now, granted, these were consensual affairs that Trump was trying to keep quiet, but the effect is all the same. These women were not people to him. They were objects left to conquer. At the time, I did the work with the cool detachment of a professional. But now, as I have grown to load this man and everything fucking about him, I must reckon with Trump's history with women. And when I heard Cuomo today, it really took me back to the boss's office. I recognized that man so completely, and I was fucking disgusted. I feel bookended now because of them. These two political enemies on the opposite end of the ideological spectrum are united together now for their mistreatment of women and the way they and others help them cover it up. Now it's time for them to pay for their misdeeds. I only hope true justice is served. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, We all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.
2: Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe, Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.